Hey guys, welcome to the second episode of Streaming Talks. And I just wanted to let you know, I appreciate everybody who listened to the first episode with our good buddy, Barley. And now, with our second episode, we have our guest, Andy from the Andy Social Network. Quick note before we uh, introduce our guests, I'd like to let you know that uh, when we recorded this episode, we had some audio issues uh, there was some audio interference going on, things like that. But um, I basically patched up a lot of it, and um, hopefully it's up to standard like the first one was. So without further ado, I'm not going to take up any more of your time. Please welcome my guest, partnered Twitch streamer, former comedian, former musician. He's a lot of things. This is the Andy Social Network. Andy. How are you doing today, my friend? How am I doing? I feel like I, I, I'd be doing a disservice to the interview if I didn't open with what I always say and be like, how are you doing? How am I doing? Pretty, pretty, pretty good. That's that's how I'm doing. How are you doing? How are you doing, Knight? <laughs> I'm doing good, Andy. Oh, this, good. Is why I lo- this is why I'm so excited to have you on the podcast because... You're such a, a unique person. I, I, I love you to pieces, dude. Uh, how long have we known each other for, would you say? About what? Two, like, actually, like, uh, what about two years or something like that, right? What? <laughs> That's how long I've been watching your stream, but I think we met longer ago because it would have been that first SKS performance. Dan Paul, Sour Kool-Aid, uh... Back quick, because that's the story, you know, you always tell <laughs> about how we like sort of met. And then... <laughs> I guess what I was saying is like, you know, we actually started watching each other's channels about probably like really two years ago, I would say. That is correct. I've been watching you for a while. Yeah. And um, I have to say, dude, you got such a unique journey on how like you even started this whole streaming thing. Um, But before we even get into that. Let's talk a little bit about how you even got into like comedy in the first place. Do you remember Ooh. your first uh, time you ever wanted to make someone laugh? You know, since ever, uh, <laughs> that's always been, I guess, how I lived my life, as though it was filmed in front of a live studio audience. You know, I just pretend they're there, even if I can't can't hear them, and sometimes. I'm the only one in this situation who gets the joke and that can get you into trouble. I'll, I'll tell you that (laughs) because a lot of times, because as a kid, I didn't really get this. You know, you watch sitcoms were raised on them. Right. And sometimes a character does something uh, funny (laughs) because it's genuinely funny. And sometimes it's at somebody else's expense. And when you're young, you don't know the difference between those two things. And that can make things awkward for everyone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that's how it started, you know. I, I, I and and I've always there's just thought there was something magical about uh, you know getting other people to laugh. It's the strongest positive emotion. So why wouldn't you want to experience that more? It's you know they say laughter is the best medicine. And medicine is also a synonym for drug. And, you know, you get addicted <laughs> pretty soon. You want to be, you know, <laughs> some guys say smoke weed every day. I say laugh. 
every day. <laughs> it's good for you. It's good for it's good for an ab workout too. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the first person you made laugh? Oh goodness, no. Goodness, no. But I, I no? do remember being taught my first joke, come to think of it. Because uh, my dad, he taught me this old pirate joke. Uh, it's a street joke. It goes around. I mean, I'll, I'll give you the long and the short of it. But what, what they liked is the fact that as this four-year-old kid, I would try to do this pirate voice. You know, kind of like that. <laughs> But it didn't sound like that because I was four. You know, and then... And I tried to do the pirate voice. You know, it, it probably sounded more like that. But, if <laughs> you know, the pirate, he's got, what is it? You know, he's got everything a pirate has. You know, he's got the peg leg. He's got the hook. He's got the parrot on his shoulder. He's got the eye patch and the hat, you know. And basically, the, the, the pirate talks about, you know, how he got each thing. You know, he got the, uh, uh, what is it? He got the leg from getting into a fight, okay, and then he got the hook because his leg got stuck in the deck. And so someone chopped off his arm. That's how he got the hook. And the way he got his eye patch was, uh, how does it go? Yeah, he looked up into the sky and a seagull flew by and pooped into his eye. And that's how I got me eye patch. And you're supposed to, as the listener put together, oh, because he tried to wipe the, the poop out of his eye with his... With his <laughs> With his hook hand, that's why he got the iPad, you know. And he are dots the joke, you know. That's <laughs> and the crowd goes wild. There you go. <laughs> yeah, four years old. Four years old. Yeah, yeah, it, amazing. I, I haven't thought about that, actually, in a really long time. Uh, but well, since you brought it up, you know, there you go. I re we're going down memory lane here. This is This is good. You're like my therapist. Maybe there's a lot I'll be able to get off my chest over here. <laughs> oh, yes, like a Dr. Fraser Cranes. Have a seat, Niles. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> do you, uh, do you, so like after you like you made that joke, did you ever think like, I want to be a comedian? That was it for you? Or did you like, oh, it's cool, kind of cool to make people laugh, you know? You know, that's all it was. No, I didn't have any aspirations to be a comedian until until later, till till after college. Because uh, what it was, what was it? I really liked funny movies. I mean, I'd always liked stand-up comedy, but uh, I wasn't drawn to it till after I completed a comedy screenplay. Um, I did this when I was 23. I, it was a comedy that took place in a fast food restaurant. I think I wrote this before Clerks 2 had come out. Like, just before it came out, I was like, oh, well, I guess they're already going to do that. But that's... <laughs> but it, it dawned on me that uh, the likelihood of getting a screenplay actually made and produced and all of this is extremely unlikely. I didn't realize that until after I'd put all the work in. But uh, I had kept this file... Uh, in a folder off to the side as I was writing the screenplay just titled stand-up material. Any, any like funny thing I thought of while writing the movie, I just kept separate and be like, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do some that, do that someday. And lo and behold, I did. Mm -hmm. uh, I was like, well, let we, we, I want to make people laugh. So let's just take it to the stage and, and do it the most direct route possible. And, and the rest is history. <laughs> So you, you said you didn't want to be comedian until later, like in college. Do you remember what you wanted to be at that age? Like, you know, going through like uh, grade school and high school? Oh, man. You know, that that always changed. Uh, 
<laughs> I, I don't remember giving this answer, but my mom likes to tell this story. When I was a little kid, uh, yeah, one of one of the ladies at these uh, at these events she'd go to uh, asked me what I wanted to be when I grow up, and I said I wanted to be a bank robber. <laughs> <laughs> Just straight faced. I wasn't kidding. Like, <laughs> it's okay because I told my mom I wanted to be a taxi driver. So nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> a lot of times those two skill sets go together. Huh? That's when. <laughs> <laughs> but what was it? At one point, I want to be a geologist. At one point, uh, yeah, want to be uh, a musician. I mean, that's that's where it took me because uh, in. I studied piano since I was six. I started trumpet when I was in fifth grade, moved on to larger brass like trombone and tuba, you know, in high school and in college. And that that's why I did college. I wrote a three movement uh, high school band piece that my band actually performed back back in that heyday, man. Um, yeah, studied trombone at University of Oregon. And that's that was the track I was going to be on. I wanted to either be like... Uh, like a brass professor at a college or, uh, you know, teach a, a school band or something. But uh, I, I changed my mind. I, I just, I decided later on that that was not the career path for me. Uh, and I look back with no regrets. I'm actually very, very happy with where I wound up uh, doing the streaming, doing the stand-up comedy. I mean, I don't do much stand-up comedy anymore. It's kind of what got me into streaming, but I guess that's, that's for later in the interview. I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of <laughs> it's ourselves. It's okay. Um, so I wanted to ask, uh, you said you learned piano at the age of six. Uh, was that like forced or was that like, I really want to learn piano? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it was it was essentially forced in that, uh, you know, because a lot of families do this. They'll, they'll you know, get you started on an instrument, uh, especially if they know how to play one already because uh you know they they know you'll be glad you learned it at a young age as opposed to trying to come at it and learn it later and in, and in my case yeah i i agree i'm very glad that i was started earlier i probably wouldn't um have the same appreciation for it or i might not have gotten into it of my own volition so having that skill set uh put there you know, same with how kids are taught anything in school. I mean, <laughs> math is technically forced on you. Language is technically history, science. It's all forced on you. So why not? Why not include music in that too? And I'm I'm glad it was because I I use that more than the other things. <laughs> That's right, because the Pythagorean theorem won't let you uh, learn how to do taxes, right? <laughs> <laughs> it won't. Those those things have nothing to do with each other. That's. <laughs> <laughs> um, not a lot of advanced algebra when doing your taxes. It's it's mostly basic arithmetic. <laughs> so like uh, myself, I played the drums, right? And I, and I, I was kind of forced to, to play um, in a way. And like what mm -hmm. I meant by force, like I didn't really play like uh, what I felt. Did you ever feel a point when like, you're like, oh, the piano's okay. Was there an instrument that like it really grabbed your interest and you di it didn't feel like work? Ooh, that's easy. Yeah, once I picked up the bass guitar, that's that's when that happened. That was <laughs> towards the end of college. Uh, yeah, because what was unfortunate was my ability to play play brass instruments uh, kind of disappeared due to some unfortunate things that happened. Uh, so I was like, well, I still want to play music, even if I can't play brass anymore. So an instrument that always grabbed my eye was 
the bass guitar. So pick that up and, oh yeah, that's what I consider to be my main instrument uh, nowadays. That's, that's just fun as heck. <laughs> what happened that made you not play brass? Was it something with your, your, um, your voice? Uh, yeah, kind of what it was. I, I figured out you could get a really good sound out of the instrument uh, by not articulating the first note by just simply blowing wind and allowing the lips to vibrate by themselves. I could get a purer, really nice tone. But the problem was by reinforcing that over and over, I unknowingly trained out my ability to articulate notes correctly. And it, it wound up completely borking the muscle coordination to make everything like work at the same time to where I, I found it extremely difficult to play anything. Um, very weird thing to have happen. And I, I have yet to reverse the damage I've done there because I, I feel like it's all psychological because it's just obviously all the parts independently work fine. It's getting them all to work together again. I, I no longer can for whatever reason, but I like to think that, um, by not being able to do that, it forced me to do other things, which made me wind up here. Uh, so I, what is it? It's, it's that incredible Hulk line. I see this as an absolute win. It, it's fine. It's <laughs> really, I, I made something better out of it. You know, I, <laughs> interesting. So, uh, it's basically, it was a bad technique that kind of caused that, or is that like you said, psychological? Um, yeah, because it wasn't bad technique per se. because uh, you can use that as a teaching tool when used in, you know, small doses to, you know, get a student to make a nice sound, but you don't wanna my problem was I was doing it literally all the time. Uh yeah, that should only be used as like an isolated thing, cause uh, yeah, I, I but I, I still feel like it's psychological. Uh having reinforced that over and over did something with my brains hmm like a, like a bad feedback loop or something between my air and lips and my brain yeah i <laughs> i don't know i have i haven't given it all of that much thought um since it happened but uh you know say la vie maybe one day the damage will undo itself if i forget how to play uh, long enough that's <laughs> <laughs> all right so you know obviously it looks like you're you're really passionate about music and instruments um and you said it kind of changed a little bit when we went to college uh how, how was your high school career uh as far as like uh brass instruments and stuff like that um like did you do well were you into it were you in the band oh, did very well that's that's what encouraged me to go oh, into really? music school was because of how well it went uh i managed to win uh, you know, they, they do these annual solo competitions, you know, within your district level. And, you know, a few times I won those. And if you do that, you move on to the state level. And I managed to compete on the, at the state solo competitions. Best I ever did though, was second place, never could clinch that first. And then later in life, when I became a teacher, I tried to live vicariously through my own students and got some oh of them to the gosh. state level, but I couldn't get any of them first place either. Best they ever got was second place. So I, <laughs> which is still pretty good. You know, I, I shouldn't be, be knocking. I'm just like, man, <laughs> neither me nor my, nor my successors could get that first place, but that's, but that's okay. You got to <laughs> You got to count the positives. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, like, uh, I always hated practicing for some reason. I, I can never, you know, sit there and get myself to do it. How'd you do it? Like, that's like a secret formula almost. And like how to sit down and make yourself learn scales and learn all these things. How did you do it? It's amazing, right? Because at my current age of 38 years old, I don't know. Because whatever motivation I had then, I don't have it now. I was like a robot person. I could just program myself into these habits and routines and just do things. I would practice for, you know, in my college years. Shoot, I was practicing for you know, hour, two hours. Yeah, I'd do like an hour per instrument. I'd do an hour on the trombone, hour on the euphonium. Uh, crazy, you know, and that that was with, while well, doing all my studies, music theory, keyboard skills, ear training, all that stuff. And I have no idea how I did all that. Uh, <laughs> absolutely insane. Uh, I just, just a real workhorse back then. And I, I guess that's what it is though. It's about, Setting habits, being disciplined, keeping your eyes on the prize, you know, having an established goal and doing whatever it takes to achieve said goal. Boom. Was it your, uh, did your parents push you to do it or was it like yourself? Like you wanted yourself, like you had to have it like down pat, like you wanted to be the very best you possibly could. <laughs> I want to be the very best. <laughs> like no one ever was. <laughs> you got it. That's the <laughs> That's the one. No, that's what it is. I mean, I, I I wanted to be really good at something. I I I think a lot of folks have that, you know, desire that's just in their soul. I don't know where it comes from, but that's what fueled me through it. The you know the desire to to be the best, get good, all that stuff. We didn't use that phrase back then, but that <laughs> that, that that that's it's basically it. You know, um, a way to you just want to be the best around. That's all. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Just uh, <laughs> nothing's gonna ever keep you down. <laughs> exactly. You no, know, I never associated those two songs with each other, but you're right. Yeah, maybe I should do a mashup. That'd be so. <laughs> oh man! All right, so you're going through high school, and you know you're you're enjoying band. It seems like you're pretty, you know, disappointed on your instrument and learning. So uh, let's talk about uh, what you went to college for. How, what was college like for you? Did you stay local? Did you go out of state? What was your experience like in college? Ah, uh, yeah, okay. So I lived in Springfield, Oregon at the time. Uh, and I went to the University of Oregon, which is based in Eugene. So that was an easy pick. University of Oregon is well known for its music program uh, because that's what I wanted to study. It's like, well, perfect. They're right there. I can drive there from my house every day without much hassle. So that very easy decision to stay local. Plus you get the reduced uh, in-state tuition. So it's, you know, it's a win on all fronts, but yeah, that went, you know, again, very well as you know, I had a really good foundation in music going into college already. So, you know, everything that they threw at me was, was fine. I was, I was on track to learn the new stuff because the foundation was already laid and I was willing to put in the work. I basically lived at that music school all day. I only drove home to sleep. Uh, I was, <laughs> I was basically a fixture <laughs> in the music school student lounge. They had this orange lounge with big old bright orange couches. And I had my spot and people would just, I was like, Norm, it cheers. Oh my God. That's what I was like. I was like Norm. I did. <laughs> So you just made my head explode right there. That was, 
I was always in that spot doing <laughs> either eating my lunch or working on my homework or talking to people who just came by. It was it was great because, you know, I was homeschooled. So it was one of the, you know, getting to talk and interact with people on a daily basis was kind of new and exciting for me uh, <laughs> at the ripe old age of 17, 18, you know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, how is being homeschooled like? Uh, what was it like? I mean, I went to public school myself, but uh, was it was it tough? Was it was it different? Was it easier? You think? Like, what do you think? Okay, so it, that's a very good question because that's going to vary widely from person to person who's been homeschooled. Because uh, most people who are homeschooled, of course, are taught by one of their parents or both their parents or or whatever. In this case, uh, it was my mom and she has a master's degree in math, uh, was very studious, uh, and, and was very strict and expected a lot of me. Uh, so for me, uh, it would have been tough, you know, academically, of course, you know, not having to, what is it? Um, Oh, get on a bus and, be certain places at certain times throughout the day. You know, you're, you're just, you're at home. So you, <laughs> that part's not a fact. You don't have to get no, up super days. early or nothing, but she, she was strict about start time. What work had to be done. I was given a daily list of tasks, all of which had to be checked off and completed before the day was over. Uh, and then I could, you know, be a kid <laughs> in my off time. Um, but not everyone's experience, of course, it is the same. I think mine was was probably a lot stricter than most. Um, but you know, you, you again, you put in the time, you do the work, you you reap the benefits. So I, I got a good education growing up. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of discipline comes from uh, being being homeschooled by mom. I mean, if it wasn't for her, you you probably wouldn't be where you are today. That is that is indeed very true. <laughs> That is indeed very true. <laughs> I gotta wonder if she would stand by that. That would be the real because <laughs> she probably never envisioned that her son would be a Twitch streamer someday because none of these things existed. Oh mom, if I had only played and learned more video games as a kid, I'd be a much better streamer today. You know, like <laughs> this is the last thing I would have thought I would have done as a kid. Even as a kid, I knew that you know video games were purely for pleasure, purely for fun, something to do in the, in the off time. You know, you couldn't make a career out of it. I had no delusions as a kid, but look what I'm doing today. If I told eight-year-old me back then what I'm doing now, he'd, <laughs> he'd tell me to get out of town. I don't. <laughs> oh man. So, uh, you know, you're going through, uh, you know, so at this point you're in college and, you know, you're working diligently, you're, you're working hard. Um, what makes you want to take up bass at that point after is, is the realization that you know you couldn't perform at the level you could with the brass instruments? Yeah, I still wanted to play music. Uh, and I guess, yeah, in retrospect, it was kind of cool because at that point, now that I knew what all the instruments were, uh, what they could do, what they sounded like, and I already had it, you know, a good grounding in, you know, the function of music, how it works, what you can do with it. Um, the bass was the clear standing out instrument. Uh, my, 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 my friend introduced me to a band called Primus. You might've heard of it. <laughs> John, John, the fisherman. You got it. <laughs> yeah. That's Girl the one. That's... To be. <laughs> yeah. That voice he has. 
that unmistakable twangy Les Claypool <laughs> voice. I tell you, my name Jerry is Bud. Jerry Rolls Royce Drivo. Roll some goddamn fans. Yeah, that does. <laughs> Too good. But no, I was blown away by his skills. And then I, you know, later found about, you know, about other, other famous bassists, uh, namely Victor Wooten. Victor Wooten, in my opinion, is, it is the best. Um, and there's a lot of really good bassists out there. I'll tell you that, but you know, I just couldn't get enough. I'd look up videos of all these guys playing and try to, you know, transcribe what they'd play note by note. So I could do it on my base. You know, I'd bought bass books and, uh, no, it, it, at that time I just ate it all up. Uh, you know, learn how, how to do slap and, and tapping as well as fingerstyle. You know, you get your chords, harmonics, uh, just just every every bag of te- sorry techniques <laughs> <laughs> techniques in the bag. I think oh, you, yeah. you get what I'm trying to say. You <laughs> see, you got some things over here, and you put them in the big thing. The small things go in the big thing, and then you run it across the the, the fifty yard line. You're bound to get the touch. That you know that that's that's how we make jokes. That's what. <laughs> soon as i don't know what i'm talking about we'll just uh, do john madden and then save it because he never knows what he's talking about <laughs> it's a safety net it's a safety net it's yeah <laughs> exactly, exactly exactly we'll talk about that one later um <laughs> oh good oh good uh, but before we talk about any of the, the the fun twitch stuff um but everything we've been talking about is fun really so far um let's kind of dive into a little bit Um, you know, you went from learning instruments and, you know, uh, trying to learn and make yourself better. What was your, do you remember your first time teaching, uh, music? Yes, because I was 16 years old at the time I took on my very first tuba student. And I think I charged $5 an hour, uh, cause I was brand new and I didn't want people to waste their money cause I knew that I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) I felt lucky that they were trusting me <laughs> with their young, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed student that I wouldn't lead them astray and, and teach them horrible things. So, uh, no, but it, it actually went really well. From the current professor of tuba at the time, at the time, I guess that's not really current. It was current then. I'm old. That's the point. It'll happen to you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'd been given such quality instruction. Fortunately, I was able to impart a lot of that, even, even at a young age. And, and the more I did, the better I got. I, I taught music lessons from the age of 16 till now. So a good, <sighs> You know, Scott, I've been a freaking evil music teacher for 22 freaking years, okay? Cut me some freaking slack. You forget, Scott, we're in a volcano. Anyway, something, something, magma, and, and that's the bit. But that, that's a long time to be teaching music, I tell you what. But that, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's a lot. And what did it feel like? I mean, what made you want to start teaching? Like, you just wanted to make someone better? Uh, what was what was the whole point of, like, wanting to become a teacher? Hmm. Because I like telling people what to do. No, I'm just kidding. I like Ah, <laughs> uh, shoot. Yeah, that that's a good question. Why what did draw me to that? Because that's what I had done for so long. I, it seemed like a logical progression, I suppose, because that's what uh 
yeah, that, all of my like in real life musical role models, like like role models I knew personally in real life, they all taught. So it just seemed reasonable that that's that's what I should do uh, as well, and just impart how to play well to people and and, and even improve upon it. Which you know I I tried my best to do because every teacher is going to take what they know from all their different teachers and try to compress that, you know, take the best aspects of all of that, make that their own and take what they've learned and repackage it as an even better, yeah, teaching curriculum. Um, whether or not we all succeed or fail at that or not, I guess is, <laughs> you know, you judge a, a tree by the fruit it produces, <laughs> I suppose, but the, I like to think I did good. <laughs> Uh, regrettably, the, the one thing I wish I knew how to do better, but I think all teachers say this is, um, gosh, cause you can't teach discipline. I, I never could figure out how to make my students want to practice, have a desire, uh, to practice. That was something that like, either they had that desire or they didn't. And that one metric was what either, yeah, would make or break their success as a player, you'd get the occasional kid who was just like wickedly talented, who could get away with slacking off and they would still play well. But that, that, that was me. <laughs> but they would have been so much better. <laughs> oh, that was you. <laughs> yep, I would just hear it by ear and just reproduce it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a great skill set to have because uh, I don't naturally have that. I had to learn that. It took a long time to develop uh, a musical ear. Um, so yeah, I was always. Oh, a little envious of people who could just pick it up and do it like that. That's that's yeah. A all I needed to learn was uh, how to connect with the the kick drum and the snare and the hi hat and the, the the rest of it is just ears and you kind of feel it out. <laughs> Boom, that's good. A good drummer's hard to find. That's that's what everybody says, and I believe them because there's a lot going on there. They got to multitask. They got to you know keep a very exact and consistent beat. Um. Oh, well, sounding good, too, and keeping those fills in time. The fills are the hard part. I tried to learn drums briefly, and, yeah, the fills are tough. <laughs> yeah, and, they, you know, they got to make sure they don't uh, throw in those extra drum solos to throw off everybody, the whole band, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. Well, so you went into teaching. Did you ever, um, was it just side gigs he did, or did you actually get, like, a, a set job somewhere being a music teacher? Oh, good question. Okay, so yeah, as as a, a teacher, let me see. It was all private. I never was officially employed by anybody in that capacity. There was a school, Shasta Middle School, would have me, yeah, I had permission to teach at the school in their practice rooms uh, during and after school hours, which was pretty cool because... That way, everybody kind of won. Um, it was very convenient for the students because they didn't have to travel anywhere. I came to them, and I could be at one location and teach, you know, three, three or four students just back to back to back like that. Uh, and I wasn't, yeah, and, and I and I got paid <clears throat> separately, you know, by the by the parents. So it was real good situation there. Usually, I would just do house calls. Uh, but that was one situation where I didn't have to. I get to do it at the school. Felt like a real teacher. Uh, that's what. <laughs> uh, and then the other. Th you want to know something funny? Oh, what's that? Uh, okay. This is. I was doing some research, right? I usually do research before episodes, mm. 
and you won't believe maybe you may or may not remember this i was uh i was i was doing some like google mm. searches right to kind of see like a little bit of your background uh -oh. and stuff and um i ran across this video of you uh teaching lessons to someone setting up the drum set you are in the video what? you are it's somebody who learned how to play drums and you are taking apart the equipment and moving and you're nodding your head as you're hearing them practice on the way out i have no memory of this well, t well i'll show you after the, the oh, interview, you'll have but to. it's there it exists uh it's it's literally i think you look pretty young it probably is about six years old five years old does that sound oh, about right wait a second I'm trying I'm trying to place it was on a Facebook page what, this may have been my old cover band uh nah let me okay do you want me to look real yeah quick? it was like very basic drumming I see or maybe does this look oh, like a school where, right. where is it taking place in a home in a home oh I know what this is okay that had Can to you have find been, a video? No, that's the brother of my guitar student, I think. Um, because they would. I'm trying to think who would have videotaped me. That's them. Yes, that's absolutely them. I was just giving some helpful pointers because I know a little bit about the drums. They hired me. Right, it's you setting it up, right? Yeah, yeah. They uh, they they also had me come and not just to teach their kid. There was one lesson where I came in and they wanted me to give them a group lesson because they were going to give uh, like like a like a school recital, just the two of them in front of the whole student body. So they wanted to make sure that they were locked in and together knew how to communicate when to like change songs because they were doing like a like a medley of different, you know, rock riffs and stuff. That's that's what that was. OK, it just I had to rewind my brain so far back. To remember why was i teaching someone the drums no that that was why it's because so, so it was, it was you me at, yeah 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 point. his brother was my student the guitarist yeah yeah you almost don't recognize yourself because you got no beard on yeah there, there would be no beard <laughs> in that picture that's true but How um funny all right so we saw the mystery, saw the mystery. that's it <laughs> I, I know who they are it was <laughs> It was you in that video I randomly found. Like, I was just going through some research, you know, like I usually do. Um, anyways, so you, you, you do the teaching thing. You're loving it. All that good stuff. And, um, you you know, you got some of a job out of it. And, you know, you're, you're teaching. Yep. Uh, how long did you end up uh, teaching till? Yeah, I still do to this day. I still have one student uh, who I yeah, teach every, oh, every so often. Um and and that's about it. Every everyone else, it just kind of it was it was like a natural progression. When the streaming got more and more successful, I was able to kind of naturally. I didn't have to tell anyone I can't teach you anymore. Oh wait, that's not true. I actually know. I had to tell the Eugene students I couldn't do it anymore. That was a big commute. I used to, even though I lived in Portland, when I moved up here, I would go down every week. Um, to Eugene and back to, to teach uh, students down there. And it eventually got to the point where, yeah, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. So I had to tell them, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's been fun and all that, but I can't keep doing the commute. And by that point, the stream was uh, successful enough that I could, I could afford to, to do so. Um, and then everyone who was important. How long was the commute? 
Oh, about a two-hour commute one way. So yeah, four-hour round trip. Wow. Yeah, yeah, not not Jeez. small. <laughs> how how was the pay? I mean, you don't have to give me exact number, but oh uh, no, I could tell you. I, I towards the end of my career, it was thirty bucks an hour. Yeah, for for music lessons, which is cheap by today's standards. Um, most people charge way more. I just I didn't. I prided myself on. Uh, you know, giving people affordable lessons and it, uh, it paid the bills It, it you know, it, it kept me alive for as long as it needed to. <laughs> yeah. My drum teacher was the same way. I mean, sometimes he would quote unquote, forget, uh, to, to charge me <laughs> because we just have so much fun together. Oh, nice. He would charge me 20, nice. 20 bucks. He's like, no, as long as the rent is paid, no big deal. You know, and he always gave me drum lessons every week, you know. Well, that's mighty nice of him. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that's those are the teachers you do want, the ones that actually want you to do well and succeed. Yeah. You know, did you ever know that I actually quit band because of a teacher? Oh, no. No. Yeah, I that's did. It was middle school. Oh, I, I, here, I'm, I'm stealing any thunder for a second. So I was in middle school, <laughs> and uh, what what happened was that I was playing the I was playing percussion, right, and learning the snare drum, the paradiddles, all that fun stuff except I didn't really practice. Mm -hmm. And that was because I had a lot of stuff going on in my life. And, you know, I was distracted um, to, to do that. And, you know, and the thing that really set me off is that she would point me out in the middle of lessons, showing that, like, you know, I was failing. You Ooh. know what? Uh, and she was super, super strict. And I'm like, I, I almost cried that day, Andy. <laughs> yeah. And then I was so, wow. what I did is I... I told my mom, I don't want to do this. This is what happened. And then my guidance counselor bailed me out that very day. I left the the thing. I said, I don't want to do this anymore. It's not worth the stress. And uh, but the good news is, is that uh, three or four years later, I you know I had a drum set laying around my garage still collecting dust, and I just picked it up one day and and I listened to some music and yep. I picked it up again and all by myself. So. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm glad you were able to rediscover your love for it because in a lot of cases, the bad association in people's mind is, is all it takes to scare them off from it forever. Uh, which is why it's so important that teachers uh, not teach that way. <laughs> Teacher, leave them the kids alone, right? <laughs> exactly. We don't need no edumacation. <laughs> <laughs> But that's that's my little my little band story, you know. Gosh, it's unfortunate you had a negative experience like that because it, it's not supposed to be that way. Band is supposed to be fun, extracurricular activity and all that. Do it because you want to do it. You want to what is it? Collaborate with other people to achieve a goal that you couldn't achieve by yourself, which is pretty nice. Uh, that's what I was liked about music is it was a, a a cooperative effort where everybody wins <laughs> if everybody plays well <laughs> i guess i guess i got fired from the music making factory at the, <laughs> in that time <laughs> this is a music making factory folks got to pump out these tunes by two o'clock this afternoon <laughs> we'll talk about that meme in, <laughs> in a little bit i suppose we will yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a lot we can visit so, here. Oh. You get through through music, and you say that towards the end, really, uh, it kind of switched off between you know once streaming picked up, it, it, it gradually faded off, but naturally, that um you know you stopped teaching a little bit. So let's talk about uh, when you start picking up comedy. You say you picked up in college, and you you know at the same time you picked up a bass, all this stuff. 
Um, tell us, like, what was it like to say to yourself, all right, well, I guess I kind of want to get into comedy. Um, how did that all start out? Ah, okay. Because I'm trying to, yeah, piece it together. So Jerry Seinfeld probably had the most influence of all the comedians uh, growing up because I loved right. uh, the Seinfeld show. I used to work at this mini mart and it had a TV in the back. And, you know, anytime I'd go on break, uh, <clears throat> I'd try to make sure that it happened when they'd play the reruns because I didn't get into the Seinfeld show uh, until it was in syndication after it was it was it was all done. Then I discovered the show and I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I, I own all nine seasons on DVD. To this day, special features and everything. Um, and that's what got me into it. But I, I, I was also very aware of, of other stand-ups, you know, notably impressionists like uh, Frank Caliendo and, of course, uh, old guys like Jim Gaffigan, Brian Regan. Um, and that, yeah, it always seemed like magic, the way that they could make a whole room full of people laugh. And, yeah, it, it, it worked out really well because playing music live on stage in front of people i guess is a really good stepping stone to doing comedy because to just get up in front of a bunch of people all at once without any experience would be terrifying for a lot of people and it still was because it still was because playing an instrument you can kind of hide behind your instrument but um telling jokes and having to you know what is it kind of be you <laughs> or pretend not to be you or whatever you're going to do up there you're, you're sharing stuff you wrote uh and have people listen to it and judge it and and it and it's more of an objective thing because either they laugh or they don't if you laugh you win if they don't you lose uh <laughs> whereas music well music is just art it's subjective it's about the notes you don't hear right you know all this sort of stuff uh, comedy less so it's hard to make excuses like that <laughs> but um that's what got me into it was 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 seeing those guys on tv do it and man they make it look easy because uh whew, it is not that easy uh i bombed a lot uh, it took me a very long time before i could get laughs consistently because frankly uh i was not a good writer uh <laughs> it's hard to write funny jokes i'll, I'll just tell you that right now uh but again, it was that desire to, to be really good at something, a desire to succeed. I know what I want. Now, what's it going to take to get it? And I was, I was willing to put in the time and ground it out. And, and, and years later, I, I, I finally built an act largely consisting of uh, impressions and song parodies that I'd play on my keyboard live on stage. And it and, and, and all worked out. Again, the hard work paid off. Yeah, uh, remember I sent you something. What I sent Andy, guys, was um, I sent him a picture, and it was two tickets to Brian Regan and Jerry Seinfeld. Mm. <laughs> yep, 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 and yep. I'll tell you what, uh, those guys are hilarious. And what's funny is that I didn't really put Brian Regan together that you actually liked him until I listened to your stream, and I'm like, and you kept saying Brian Regan, Brian Regan. I'm like, <laughs> like, wait, that guy looks familiar. And then I'm like, I went to saw him. I saw him at the. Okay, yep, yep, yep. All right, so, <laughs> um, you know, it's funny because I found out about Brian Regan through Frank Caliendo's impression of him. Is some radio interview, and and Caliendo doesn't even really talk about him much. He just references him, but he just 
He just started doing this voice. I'm Brian Regan, and this is how I talk. I'm just super pushy, and I'm the best at everything. I'm the Reganest of the Bryans, the Bryanest of the Regans. And I just, I kind of took, because <laughs> I didn't know where he was. I, I eventually looked Brian Regan up later, only to discover that that's just kind of a funny voice that Brian Regan sometimes does <laughs> to punctuate a bit or something. But it's not really what he sounds like in real life. But now whenever I do a Brian Regan impression, I'm just doing Caliendo's impression of Brian Regan with my own spin on it. Um, it also steals from the Brian Fellows sketch. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's and I kind of, that's how I think about the, I am the caped, the, the caped crusader. <laughs> Chris Farley is Batman. <laughs> that's how I think about the Farley impression. <laughs> that's the one. That's the one. Yeah. Chris Farley is Batman. You're not going to amount to Jack Squat. Yeah, that's... <laughs> All too good. All too good. That's the guy who's the reason you got to do that John Mann impression because they're both Frank Caliendo. Nobody does it funny. You're the popcorn popper, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so you said you bombed on stage a lot. Tell me what your first comedy show was like, if you remember. I do remember, yeah. It was a... Uh, what did it look like? What was the name of the venue? It was a pizza place in Eugene. What was the name of it? Um, I don't remember. It was a... It was a it was a pizza place that, you know, is that it was big enough to have like live bands in it and stuff. I just can't remember the name <laughs> of the venue, but they had an open mic. Um, they specified that it be a clean mic. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. I, I do clean material. So I got up there. I invited a bunch of friends to come along. And my takeaway from it, like it, it didn't go bad, but what was it? Because I'd been programmed by you know, watching stand-up comedians on TV for so long, my expectations were different from what happened is, what was it? I do that, that common mistake of, of going too fast. Like you tell the joke and if it got no laugh right away, I would just boom, go into the next bit. Like I, I left very little room for, a, for like a pause. And then they laugh because on TV, it doesn't really do that. Like they 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 laugh right away, but when you do it live, you, you got to put a little bit of that pause in there to give them the space to like get the joke or something, and then they'll laugh, and then you can go to the next thing. I kept stepping on any opportunity they might have had to laugh if I'd simply gave them breathing room to do so. I just <laughs> it was a very what Robin Williams esque approach <laughs> to the humor at that time. And then I, I, I learned through experience and even today I still go too fast, but, uh, no, never, a, even with all my experience, I'm just still, yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> you don't say Andy go too fast. Talk too quick. I'd never no. <laughs> that would never happen. Ridiculous. Uh, Oh man. But, but that, that's what it was like. Uh, I was lucky to have uh, have had that first experience be as good as it was, though, uh, because other experiences uh, weren't as much. You know, I had it's like anything. You got to find your way, try new material, try new things, see what, you know, <laughs> what's that saying? <laughs> Throw shit against the wall and see what sticks. You know, that's what it felt like for a very long time. Um, and it just it, it was the weirdest thing. Because like I said earlier, uh, what worked for me was the impressions and song parodies, which 
thinking back on it does bother me a little bit because that means that um, I have no stories or observational humor or anything that's actually relevant or related to anything that's me that resonates or sticks with anybody. Everything I ever tried that was in that vein uh, either failed or wasn't consistent. And all I was left with was uh, the shell of the man you see before you with impressions and song parodies. <laughs> <laughs> but at least I got the audience to laugh. So I've got that going for me, which is pretty nice. That's <laughs> so after doing some, uh, some gigs and, you know, cause like uh, I used to promote uh, a small little space and, uh, did you ever have any bad crowds? Bad crowds. It, it can happen from time to time. Absolutely. Uh, I'm trying to think how to, how to put this. Cause it, that opens up a really good can of worms to talk about. Cause there's a phrase that gets circulated in the comedy community masquerading as advice and it's good advice, but you've got to dissect it a little bit. It's, um, never blame the audience. Now, the reason they say this is, as the comedian, as the performer, it doesn't do you any good to blame the audience. What does you good is to look back on the situation and think about what you could have done to make that situation better if it you know, went south, went sour, whatever. Because um, blaming the audience won't, won't get you anywhere, won't improve you as an artist. But that is not to say that it's uh, not sometimes the audience's fault, because sometimes it is. Um, for example, if there's no one in the audience, and that has happened before, um, that, would, that would fall under being the audience's fault uh, for not showing up. <laughs> um, me and another guy once had to deliver a set to an empty room because that was the contract. The fact that they did not promote the event and bring in customers that was on them. We did our time. They paid us. We told our jokes to just empty chairs, and then we took off. That was it. It was. I. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> that that does happen. It seemed like that was. Oh, I, yeah, I know a lot of the, to do for nothing, but whatever. But then other times, you know, you'll get rowdy crowds that just won't shut up. You'll get tiny crowds where it's going to be difficult to perform in because. Uh, there's only like three people in the crowd. Uh, <laughs> you're not exactly going to get that roaring. <laughs> um, oh, do I have one of these? Oh, there we go. Yeah. Oh, you can't hear that. Okay, I, that's muted on your end. Never mind. I've got a laugh track button over here, but that <laughs> the stream never leaves you. Oh my gosh, it never does. Uh, so here's a good question. But... What is the weirdest booking you've got as far as like how it went, you know, it, you're really uniffy about it and <laughs> because I'm sure like this probably was a point where it's like, uh, okay, I guess we'll kind of see what happens with this one. <laughs> weirdest show. I feel like there's something I've done that would qualify for that. Scratching my head. See, because I've heard weird stories. Uh, back in the early days in Portland, some guys would do this thing called Max Train Comedy. They would get on one of the public trains, the mass transit trains, and just bring a portable amp and a mic and just assault random citizens <laughs> with their comedy. 
and then get off at the next stop so that they wouldn't get in trouble. It was a very quick, you know, hit and run type of operation. I never did it. I only heard these stories. Um, another one was where the comedians performed behind cages. The customers were sold tomatoes as, as produce that they could throw at the comedians at their discretion behind the cages um, because of the whole, you know, <laughs> the whole stereotypical type story of, you know, comedians getting assaulted with, with produce at a show. If they don't perform well, they thought, well, let's theme a whole show around this. And that was a disaster. One guy performed at an alpaca farm. Um, I think somebody may have been hired to do it at a grocery store. Like I, <laughs> you hear about these weird places and I'm trying to think what my weirdest would have been. Um, goodness. It had to have been something where like no one would have been listening because uh, <laughs> they were all preoccupied doing something. Yeah. I'm, I may have to answer that question later. Oh, no I'm worries. Currently drawing <laughs> well, instead of answering that, what, what's the, uh, what was the weirdest transaction you had as far as like, you know, a lot of times there's a saying of hot dog and a handshake, basically meaning you, you do this for free and you just kind of show up. Um, <laughs> Was there ever a time you got a booking and you said, you know what? I'd never go in here again. Huh? Um, hmm. If it was a, if it was a bad venue, then, then naturally, you know, I wouldn't want to perform at a, at a bad venue more than once. Um, what would you describe a bad venue? Um, where there's like, you know, no audience. Uh, that's, that's definitely bad. Uh, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't do that again. If, what is it? If the crowd is hostile towards you, yeah, that would definitely uh, qualify as bad. Um, yeah, if you don't get paid, luckily, that was rarely a problem. Uh, there was only one time it happened that I can think of in my head, and it wasn't his fault. It wasn't the booker's fault because it was his first gig. He was a young kid. He he wanted to throw a show. Like he sees other people throwing on this local show you do at a bar, you know, you, you work out a deal with the bar owner that you'll be paid so much. And he thought he had done everything right. Um, but apparently the, the bar for whatever reason was unwilling to give him catch, uh, cash. And he didn't know this until after we'd all performed our sets and went to the bar to go get us paid they hand him this check and that doesn't do him any good because he can't turn the check into money to hand out and divide among the lot of us. So, uh, I never saw that money uh, that <laughs> from that gig, but it didn't matter. It would have been like 10 bucks or something. Anyway, it was, it was just a cheapy, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like when I did, um, promotions and stuff like that, I always made sure people got paid when they got there. I always had the money ready in an envelope. Everybody gets their pay, pretty much. Um, I mean, I did some bookings with bands and stuff like that, and that's how I always did it. I always made sure that they we agreed the amount, and I had the money there regardless because that promotion was, you know, uh, it's based on the promoter and also the comedians at the time. You know, I'm sure it was a little different when you were doing comedy, but like a lot of it now, it's like social media, per, you know, promotion and, and well, a lot more flyers probably too. You know. Yeah, all that stuff. And that's being professional. See, you 
he sounds like you know how to do it. And, and, and I'm sure this guy, you know, it was a learning experience for him. He probably never made that mistake again, but that's one of those things. If you don't work that out with the bar that, <laughs> that it has to be cashed. And I don't know, you, you better bring your own cash to ensure that your performers get paid, you know. But uh, the the reason I even know that is because um, I worked uh, in a wrestling promotion for seven years. Um, so I was always I was always right there with the promoter, pretty much. And you know, uh, professional wrestling, it's like four grand for a show. You know, it's very small scale compared to like comedy show or band. And he had to book some flights for like the big names and uh, you know, make sure everybody got paid. He comes in with like twenty envelopes. Okay, here's this. You know, so like I always made sure people got paid because I know, I know what it's like not to get paid, um, for doing, doing a job or, you know, something like that. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, sure. And there was one time I actually couldn't pay somebody. I'm like, uh, oh, there's no. like five people there and it was our first show and it was kind of like a last minute thing. And I'm like, dude, this is weird. So ever since then I had that experience. I mean, the guys who, who did their little performances, you know, were, were cool and everything. And they were local luckily. Um, so it's like, yeah, you know, it's like one of those things, like, I'm sure it's like, like pro wrestling kind of like with, you know, comedy and, and, and music, you know, music, you know, you, you always, the, the local guys usually don't get paid unless it's like a deal or something like that. Um, versus the guys mm. who come in from town, usually you pay enough for gas money. That's usually what it is or like what the standard is kind of, uh, or, or at least what they expect, Okay, you know, um, like, uh, you usually give them 20 bucks or whatever it is to drive in an hour away or two, you know, it depends on the gig and everything like that. Um, but definitely not in the, definitely not in the right field to make money though. Am I right, Andy? <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, a lot of people don't realize that, that <laughs> if you, uh, are becoming a stand up comedian to make a lot of money, you are in the wrong business. <laughs> uh, and he won't last long because, it takes too long to even make anything at this gig. And even once you do, it's not that much, uh, especially depending on where you're located. I'm in the Northwest, of course, live in Oregon. Uh, it's now at the point where there are way too many comedians and very little work. Like you've got a whole economics problem with, with this as it is. And, you know, comics wages haven't increased since, uh, what, 1990 or something. Clubs are still paying us the same rate <laughs> that they were back then. And if you, you know, account for inflation, what are we getting paid? You know, half as much now as we were back then. You know, you just, you just describes, you just <laughs> describe what Twitch is like, but we'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> 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 oh, I didn't know you're going to bring that up, but okay, we can, we can, <laughs> before we, before we transition to that, Andy, um, let's, let's exit off a little bit. Let's, let's take a little exit here on the comedy. Um, do you have any fond memories of like your comedy career? Do you have like any big things that came out of comedy and music for you? Um, did you do any, uh, like, did you, uh, combine comedy and music together eventually? Ah, okay, yeah, I'll see if I can answer all of these. So let's see. Music, uh, best experience ever was I got hired, what would this have been, a good three and a half years ago? Yeah, got hired as the bass player for a local production of Jesus Christ Superstar. That was amazing. Wow. I got to meet a lot of amazing people. 
yeah, great actors, great singers, great fellow musicians I got to work with. Um, everybody was a very high quality. Uh, oh, and the production. I mean, it was, it was multiple weeks of shows we got to do, and I enjoyed everyone. Uh, some people, I guess, get tired of doing the same show over and over for, for a show run. I didn't because I, I'm starved of that sort of thing. I don't get to play in any kind of production. I'm not in a band. I'm not a part of, of anything right now. Uh, the closest I had for a while was being the director of a tuba group in Eugene, the Oregon Tuba Ensemble. And that was fun. That was fun. I'm, I'm definitely not knocking that. I got to arrange music for him. I was the guy up in front who got to wave the baton, keep him in time and run rehearsals and all that. And that was a great experience, but uh, I didn't get to play. You know, all I got to do is, you know, the baton doesn't make any noise. Being the bass player is like, oh, finally, I get to put <laughs> put my, my musicianship to use here. So that felt really good. Uh, let me see. Good experiences in comedy. <sighs> I mean, there were a lot of them because it, it, any big show with like a packed house where I do well, anything like that was just the absolute best. Uh, and I got multiple opportunities uh, to do so. Um, and, you know, God, there was this one theater on the coast that was really good. There were some casinos that were really good. Um, there was even a comedy competition that went really good. Uh, just so much. Um, and you can't, what is it? Stuff like that, it's, it's priceless. You can't put a price on it because there's, there's no other way to get it than to simply do it. Like I said, it's magic being able to make a whole crowd of people genuinely laugh at their jokes because it's it's an involuntary reflex a lot of people go into comedy i was one of them thinking that uh, the audience will simply know when to laugh as long as you put the inflection at the end of the punchline that is their cue to laugh at the joke i mean i tell you i tell you you know cue audience laughter right there no no it's it's not <laughs> it's not a purposed thing they they, they they won't laugh simply because they think they should they only laugh when it's funny. Um, and then, yeah, what was another one? Yeah, combining music and comedy was probably the best decision I ever made because that's where my best material is. Uh, obviously, the keyboard act on stage works really well. I just kind of sing short, short form song parodies. <clears throat> you know, you get as far as to where the big laugh is, and that's where you cut off the song, boom, hop into the next song, and it's real, you know, machine gun style like that. Uh, but then one of the coolest things I ever did was on, uh, it was a local show called who's the Ross. There's this guy named Aaron Ross. He's been doing this local, like late TV talk show, but he performs it live at a bar. Um, and he's got this band with him. And what we do is I, I did some long form song parodies with the live band, like weird Al style. And that was flipping awesome. I even made some that uh, would sync up with slides that would have like pictures and lyrics on the screen. I'd have a friend work the slide projector to go along with the song as we would, you know, perform it and get through it. And those those were awesome as well. Those were very well received by the crowd because then you get the whole thing. You got maximum production value on all sides, both the 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 great band because those guys were top tier musicians um and then you get the and the funny lyrics too so it's like a whole whole big production <laughs> um so uh 
you know, you so do you think that having the visuals are very important when it came to your comedy acts and and you found that more important? What's so important about having the visuals and the audio together for you? Oh, okay, yeah, it um let me think. Cuz when I do my stand up act, yeah, there's no visual. It's just audio, but when I do yeah, combined with the live band, yeah, having that visual element it well, what does it do? It it, it helps the jokes. It gives a context for the humor. And I think that was one of those big lessons I had to learn, not just as a comedian, but as a, a real lifer, just as a human. Uh, <laughs> is It took me too long to figure out that people need context for things that happen. And pictures, of course, is an easy way to do that. Like I've got this, uh, you know, I got three different Star Wars parody song parodies that that I do and having the actual images of what I'm referencing on screen as I'm referencing it with, with the lyrics um, makes it completely unambiguous. So everybody knows exactly what the joke is. They have a context for it. It just doesn't come out of nowhere. It's not just random stuff all kind of strung together. It gives it cohesion so that no one is, is confused or, or lost. <laughs> So uh, let's um let's segue a little bit out of comedy and music. So it seems like that was mostly your passion to your life until one day you found a gig somewhere, didn't I you? Did. I did. Yeah, and, and, and I guess you really could call this the gig. So I want to know, you got to tell me the story of how you even found what we're referring to is the legendary path to sour kool-aid show now explain how this tell me the story of how this happened that was the full what you remember <laughs> from this day and how it went okay so comedian i know very well uh because uh, yeah we actually lived together for a bit um <clears throat> i've lived with a lot of comedians but she was one of them amanda arnold she needed a lift uh to this gig on Sour Kool-Aid show. It was some, and this was all involving stuff. I didn't know what it was because she's walking me through what type of show this even is. I'm going to drive her out there and we're going to meet this guy named Dan Paul, who it turns out I had met before. Uh, he was the MC at a comedy competition that I think I had been at just like that year or something. I was like, oh, okay, it's, it's this guy. I, you know, I knew it as soon as I, I saw him. I didn't recognize him by name. Um, so, yeah, we go out there and, you know, she tells me, yeah, it's just, it's an online show. I'm just going to be delivering jokes to nobody, but the, the people on the other end watching from their computers will see the show. But this guy promised he'd laugh at the jokes. Like, it's <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, this sounds very interesting. Uh, and so I go in and I see the whole stream set up. Uh, how he's got it. There's the monitors, there's a soundboard, there's mics, there's a, uh, you know, green cloth across, you know, everything. He's in his garage. Uh, and I'm just watching this go, you know, because it looks like a radio station set up that, you know, homegrown, homebrewed, because he's, you know, it's just all Frankenstein out of stuff that he owns. And so I watch the whole thing go. They do their introduction because he pays her to deliver comedy and then she would make whatever donations are given on the stream as, as, as part of the compensation too. Uh, does her act. Uh, 
and you know he gets nice and wasted so he's loosened up as well and so he's <laughs> laughing laughing at the jokes too because that, that that's good it's good to have the comedian tell the joke and have at least you know somebody laughing at the joke so again that there's you know context for the act but yeah i'm watching the whole thing go and then they you know what is it they talk later they play some video games together on stream and i was like huh that seems cool and because he saw me there and he even knew who i was because he saw me perform at that comedy competition he booked me to be on his show some weeks later oh wow uh so I already had an inside scoop as to how it would work. I already saw the whole setup and I knew what to expect going in. So nothing would be a surprise. So I, I, I planned for that. It went really well. And being able to actually perform in that context uh, and see how it all went was extremely helpful. Um, let me see. I'm just <laughs> racking my brain here. It's okay. Um, so um, real quick. So, you go, yeah. you go in this dude's garage pretty much, right? And you don't know what to expect. Yeah. And you're like, okay, this is this sounds kind of weird going into it. And then you, you kind of watch the whole thing happen. And um, how was DP when you met him? You know, like, did you guys, like, kick it off pretty, pretty you know, after seeing him after the comedy, uh, comedy competition? Oh, completely fine. Oh, yeah, no, he's a totally nice dude in real life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he is a good dude. I, um... You know, he's actually helped me out with a school project one time, believe it or not. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, uh, I did a documentary at one point. He did an interview, and I actually emailed him, like, you know, hey, you know, I wanted to, to interview you for a school project. He had no problem doing it, and he, he spent time right before his stream, and he did it. Um, wow. But, uh, yeah, yeah, and, um, well, this was about two years ago or so. Um, but, uh, anyways, so you get booked, and... How does it go with the instrument thing? Because that must have been different for him to have to set up the instruments as far as the piano. Oh, yeah. What did we do? What did we do? I think, you know, I don't even think I plugged myself in. I think I simply turned the keyboard up really loud and we positioned the mic by it so they could hear everything. Um, unless so, I'm mistaken. Because uh, I don't know that we could plug it in or not. I honestly forget. But it worked out. It worked out fine. They they could hear it. Uh, yeah. Hmm, I forget how we set up the audio for that. But uh, that we just kind of improvised in the moment. Make it, you know, did the sound check, make sure it could be heard. Whatever we did mm -hmm. worked. Um, <laughs> there's video proof. There's video proof. <laughs> how, what was it like performing up there? Like it's your first time, like performing in front of like nobody, but you're you you don't even know the reaction of people, right? Well, here's the thing. Uh I could see the chat room from where I was standing because, you know, this is where it all, this was my whole appeal. This is what got me hooked on Twitch is see, first of all, thankfully yeah, DP makes you feel at home. He's a real good host. Um, he'll make sure you're comfortable. You know, you're relaxed. As soon as I get through my first joke and he's already laughing, it's like, okay, we good. This, this, this is not going to be awkward at all. I'll go through my stuff. But I could also see chat because they would type all these like lol and applause emojis. And I could tell I was doing well just by watching chat fly by like a stock ticker with all these happy little emotes and stuff. Um, I'm like, okay, this is good. This is real good. I'm getting visual feedback here. So I get through the act and and do all the stuff. And and it, it, that's honestly what would hook me on. I was like, okay, this this is on the level with getting the laughter 
directly from an audience right there, but you can perform to anyone anywhere at one moment in time and they can interact with you in real time. It's interactive television, which blew my mind. I was like, I did, I didn't know we were here yet, but apparently we're here yet. So we're going to do it live. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I can remember watching that video and you've seen very, very hot up there. <laughs> well, there's a lot of lights. Yeah. You, the, people don't realize that in order for video to work, there has to be a lot of light cameras need light. Green screens need light. There's, <laughs> and that causes a lot of heat. That's <laughs> and being nervous, but that's <laughs> so you, you do your act and you do, you know, the parodies that a lot of people see on your stream now. Um, how did you feel after doing it? Like after said and done, like what was, what was it like afterwards? Like right when you're done with your last song and you're going through the thing and you're seeing the reaction of people, what was it like for you at that point? Oh, fantastic. I mean, just, just like, you know, finishing any show, you job well done. I, I, I knew I had done well. Somehow I just, uh, had known that, um, you know, I do remember seeing something. It's funny as ever because I didn't know what all the little emojis were, but there's that one with the giant circular head with the, the tears pouring down. And I think it's a, a binding of an Isaac emote. But that as soon as I, I told them I was done, I saw that big crying emoji show up on the thing. And I was like, apparently that person did not want me to stop. They were enjoying me that much. So I was like, okay, good. We're bringing tears to people's eyes because they wanted even more. Uh, <laughs> so that let me know I was doing good. And the fact that they were so generous at the end of the show, because I'd never, I'd never made money online before. That was something brand new to me. I'm like, well, this is just like being a cam girl, but I get to keep my clothes on. This is, <laughs> this is brand new uncharted territory. So they, the audience made it very clear uh, that, that that they liked what they saw. I was I was blown away by the generosity. I, I, I did not expect that, but they were they were very nice to me. <laughs> yeah, that must have been like really cool uh, to to be able to do that. And it's funny now that um, you know that's such an innovative thing DP was doing. Like he was part of that comedy movement of trying to get comedy more comedy on Twitch. Uh, he doesn't do it any as much anymore. He used to have like every Friday he have a comedian yeah. on, uh, yeah. in his garage, and it was such a cool thing because I always would tune in. I'm like, oh, this is cool, and you know, uh, and I think you did well because you were such a you did something totally different than a lot of people. Some people just did jokes and kind of ran off. You did a song parody and you try to interact with uh, the audience a little bit. Um, how did so? How did that come about? Was it just pretty natural to be like, "Oh, all right, well, I guess we'll just do some of this." Let me see, because I what was it? I'm trying to remember the order of, of events. Because uh, yeah, I've been working on these large form song parodies with pictures. I can't remember if that was before. No, it had to have been before Sour Kool Aid. I simply adapted it to that show. Yeah, I took the slides. I put it in a video player with the audio and tried that out because there were there were two more times I performed shows on there. Yeah, yeah. The second second time, yeah, we used those big parodies and I just yeah performed in real time with the video on stage. And I figured that would work well because um 
the style of humor I felt would be more appropriate for a Twitch audience than for a live audience of just like regular bar goers. Because there is a difference. And I've noticed this between performing on Twitch for like, you know, my fellow my fellow nerds, because nerd humor is so different from what I'll just call normie humor. It's like the Venn diagram. You know, you got <laughs> things that makes the one people laugh and then things that makes the other people laugh. There's only so much overlap between those two groups that I was like, well, I think they're going to like this stuff more because, you know, Weird Al was one of the first people to make being a nerd cool. Um, and, 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 and we love him. You know, I mean, it, it, <laughs> he's just, he's held in high regard within the community. So yeah, no, that, that, that show was very well received. So I thought I would try to do a video game song parodies using the same kind of format. And, and of course they liked those too. That was, that was for the third show. I did the video games and um, yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with that. I even tried full motion video slides as well, which was not easy to edit, but I like the finished product. One of these days, I'm going to record those and put them on YouTube so people can, you know, actually watch them, but <laughs> all in good time, right? Yeah, and um, like you were saying, like tailoring towards the audience, I think people liked you a lot because you're so genuine about your first appearance. You're like, oh, okay, here we go. We're kind of just going to kind of figure this out. And I don't think they were expecting like these great parodies. They were clean. I think that's what made them so good is that it takes a lot of skill to be clean versus, you know, thrown in profanity and a lot of the like the uh, comedy stuff, right? Yes, it's much harder to work clean. I mean, not all of those songs were totally clean, but but, but for the most part, that's what I shoot for. That's what I shoot for. Um, and and yeah, I can tell you from experience, it it is harder. And I think every comic will tell you that. But that's um, what is it that yeah, that's why Brian Regan, Jim Gaffigan, guys like that, they're so successful. Is um. They've got more of a of a mass appeal because they work clean. Uh, but the trouble is, you got to be clean and funny. Uh, <laughs> but they do it. They do it somehow. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I I I vividly remember watching the first one and the second one, the Dark Souls parody. How did you create that thing? <sighs> Oh, we get to talk about that, huh? Oh man! Did you watch? Um, did you what, what did you watch? DP stream, and you're kind of like, oh, I have an idea. Uh, you know, that's not what made it. That's not no. It's like they say, the greatest art comes from pain. Uh, my brother, who was a huge fan of the Soul series before I even knew what it was, um he came on my stream to play dark souls three for people uh because i thought that that might oh what is it uh oh drawing a different crowd you know let's see if we can you know get get some of the dark souls folks watching my stream get get some eyes on it and you know my brother knows how to play it real good so he, over the course of a couple of days he beat the whole game but we had time left over uh by the time he beat the game there's still like you know Oh, a good three hours left in the stream. So I was like, ah, you know, I'll, I'll try my hand at it. This doesn't look too bad. Simple little hack and slash, you know, 3D beat 'em up game, right? No big deal. <laughs> I play hard games. I've beaten Battletoads, whatever, right? Um, yeah, proceeded to get my ass handed to me in the worst possible way by that game. Um, 
boy, it, it, because I was brand new to it and didn't understand the combat system, and there's like a million buttons on an Xbox controller, um, that playthrough did not go well, and I wound up hating the game. Uh, absolutely. I, I hated it so much, it drove me to write an entire song period about the game saying how bad it is. Uh, <laughs> the funny thing is uh, I came back to those games later. I started with the first Dark Souls, uh, which has a much better learning curve for a new player. And I actually wound up liking the series a whole bunch. But, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend a player start with number three. It expects way too much of you at the beginning. But that's, yeah, that's what started the Dark Souls song parody, was I tried to play the darn thing. <laughs> and that's And that's what that whole song is about. It's about my first three hours playing it. I never touched it until after that song was written uh and that's it that's that's what you get <laughs> <laughs> did you ever watch um the infamous dark souls one uh uh playthrough by dp by chance i saw parts of it uh, particularly the ornstein and snow fight yes the ons fight. that was that was the best did you ever see the video i mean did you ever see like the whole final fight i saw the ons fight uh, watched the whole thing, and I could not believe how lucky he got. How insane. <laughs> the music was insane, too. When he You're was right, it. because by the time he beats him, it like goes to this point. It, <laughs> <laughs> it was like it was destined to be or something. That fate had smiled upon DP that day. He was ordained to beat the infamous Owendez. I'll have to show you a video of someone who made it. He made like a highlight video. It was like one of, it's like it looks like a motivational video, but it's like clips of DP during the Dark Souls <laughs> playthrough. I'll have to show it to you. It's very nice. good. Nice. Um nice. so you know, we're talking we're getting into the streaming territory. So let's talk a bit about it. So, you know, you did you, the first Alec Lloyd show, you're doing you know, you you walk out of there, it's a lot of fun. What happens? What's the conversation you kind of had? with DP after that show, did you ask him, Hey, um, how do I get into this now? What's set the, the, um, the, the environment at this time on Twitch? It's what? 2017, 2016, right? actually 2016. Wait. Yeah. Uh, my first appearance on the sour Kool-Aid show was October 2015. of 2015. Yeah. That's right. Because I just started yeah. streaming and then I started watching DP a right. lot. And uh, I still watch them to this day. I don't. I don't chat much, but I'm there. I'm lurking. Uh, if DP ever listens to this, <laughs> um, I'm always watching. Uh, but it's 2015. I at least think I don't know. Why I said 2016, but I know it was 2015 because this is before even the retro category was a thing. Um, this is before any of that. Any like the the resurgence of like old video games. It seems like even. Um, what what was going on? So tell me what happened after uh, the Sour Kool Aid show episode that i mean not the episode but the show you did uh the first one what was the conversation you had and what kind of went from there uh to the launch of your channel i'm trying to remember so i i don't think that i had a conversation about actually streaming myself uh at the end of that show that i remember um because it, it took some mulling over like uh hmm, having done it and then being like I bet I could do this. I, I, I don't think that my mind had come to that conclusion immediately. 
But the more I thought about it, the more appealing it seemed because I was like, well, I I, I play games well. I, I I have a, you know, I know how to play all these old games because that's what I grew up with. That was what I did in my leisure time as a kid. So I've already got all these NES and Super Nintendo games I know. Um, and I I don't know that there's a lot of it on Twitch. I, I went poking around Twitch to see if I could see many people playing those games. And at the time, it didn't seem like there were. But then again, I hadn't discovered that there was a specifically retro category. Uh, I was looking under like it was it was uh, a little background on a little background on that. Same mm-hmm. interrupt you, but there's a little background on that. There wasn't a retro category. Um, oh. it, in fact, uh, it wasn't until six months after I started streaming that it was even a thing. What happened? Do you do you know how retro? No, you're gonna have to tell me. I didn't know. All right, quick story. Um, this is at least from I remember, and this is my how I remember things. It, this is pretty much how I saw it grow. Um, I believe RGL uh, started streaming on uh, a game called Retro mm. for some reason. And what it was is that they would do races and stuff with NES games because NES games had a lot of dead categories unless it was, like, super popular yeah. or super famous. And um, people started doing speed runs on there and stuff. That's actually where I started my Power Ranger speed runs was this little retro category. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool, mm. you know. Uh, that's a cool idea. So I started doing that, and then eventually I went away from retro uh, for about a year and a half. I was trying different stuff at the time. But that's how it started. It was um, RGL started having you know different streams on there. Uh, and basically the, uh, there was a marathon. I forgot the name of the marathon. <laughs> oh gosh, it was an old game show. Uh gosh, uh, uh it was a, a Starcade. Starcade? Uh it was a um it was a older t- uh TV show. It was about video games and arcade games. Ah. And Twitch were in a marathon on it. And what the the symbol you see now, it used to be a robot that was right. the original artwork for the it. PS2 right. game retro. Yeah. And now it became this, and that's how Twitch kind of launched it. They ran the marathon, kept the name of it, and that was the end of it. Okay. That makes sense. I did not know the story. That's really helpful. So it didn't exist when I started. That Right. You had to go specific categories. So anytime I would play an old game, it would always have to be just Super Mario World or this stuff. Yeah, and and it'd just get buried at the bottom of the the main page. Goodness. Yep. So, as you were saying, before there was retro, you were kind of poking around, and what happened? Okay, so, yeah, oh, because I hadn't made the decision yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I also didn't know anything about how to stream, but my friend Mike, who does know computers, I, I ran the idea past him going like, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking I could do this streaming thing. I, I, I think I feel the winds changing here with, you know... Uh, stuff that people like people find are popular. Like, uh, like I, I think there's a future in this. I think, I think this is like a growing thing that I should, I should get on the bandwagon as soon as possible. Uh, cause people are already making a living at this. Uh, and I'm like, I could do this. I could work from home. I could still do comedy. I could do different, uh, you know, different stuff every day, interact in real time with the viewers as they watch me. This is all mind blowing, like, you know, cutting edge stuff. And he was like, yeah, I totally think you should do it. He agreed wholeheartedly with the idea. And so we, yeah, we got the gear. Uh, We figured out what program you got to use. I was very fortunate that I had that 
band I was talking about before because I already had some of the gear I would need, like the soundboard, something to play the sound, all the cables and all the microphones and just general doodads that I have. So there was, you know, I had to still get things like an upscaler, uh, buy the games because I didn't have an EverDrive at the time, but I knew what games I wanted. Um, collected more systems, you know, just generally upgraded stuff because I didn't know about SCART cables. I didn't know about upscalers and capture cards. It's not a card at all. It's an external USB device. It should just be called capture device. It looks nothing like a card. Uh, <laughs> for another day. It is neither rectangular nor is it thin it, it has none of the properties of a card call it that uh, <laughs> but yeah got it all working up and you know the rest is history what what i what i did starting out what was it because i i took experience from having done stand-up uh and then i was going to tell myself okay don't tell anybody you're streaming for like three months. I was like, no, we're going to do three months of beta testing. We won't tell anybody we, we stream. If people find the stream by accident, that's fine. But there's going to be no public announcement so that I can perfect and hone in the craft and not, you know, have all kinds of tech issues and cast, which of course is funny because even to this day, we have gaffes on stream. It's just going to happen one of these days. I will just learn to accept that, that that's that's our fate as streamers. <laughs> Things will go wrong. And part of the entertainment is seeing how the streamer simply rolls with it when everything blows up in your face. Uh, that's <laughs> live performance, folks. That's just like theater. Um, so I got three months of practice. And then I was going to be had on the Sour Kool-Aid show again. And at that point, we were going to announce... Uh, the opening of the channel and that I was streaming. And, and so I got a ton of follows on that second Sour Kool-Aid show appearance and that, yeah. And then from there, it went really well. Um, what was funny was my method of uh, growing viewership at that time because there was no retro category, right? You had to stream under game title, but unless you stream under a popular game, no one's going to see you, right? So what I do is I go to the main page and find the highest rated retro game being played at the time, which was usually, you guessed it, Mario 64. So <laughs> we built the stream on Mario 64, largely, not always, but largely. And uh, that's how I was able to get a lot of visibility uh, in the old days. Uh, now, of course, whew, the landscape has changed drastically, but we can save that for later. <laughs> So I remember, like, the first time I, I actually found you stream, Andy, I was playing, uh, you were playing Super Mario World, and uh, I was just looking at the uh, the year here. It was four years ago, May 17th, 2016. Whoa! I'm thinking, so, if I started in April, May. Yeah, well, yeah, that would have been right after my Sour Kool-Aid show, I think. Yeah. That seems about right. Right. And uh, that's when I first followed you, uh, believe it or not. Unreal. <laughs> we'll talk about when you followed me, but <laughs> that's another <laughs> <my> story. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, 
But anyways, I remember watching you, and I'm like, okay. And this is at this time, you're only doing four voices, right? Um, I'm trying to think. See how I did it was different back then. Uh, cause I would do these things called celebrity let's plays where I would attempt to do the entire stream in only one voice. So are you doing entire stream as Arnold Schwarzenegger with the things and the stuff and you take your vitamin S, your protein and you get super buff. Yari, yari, yari. You do that for God knows how long. Um, I think the other one, trying to think of the, what the hits would have been. Oh, of course, you'd have Dr. Evil, Scott Wright, <laughs> with the doctor and the evil, all of this. Um, what would another one have been? Peter, uh, Peter probably. Poor freaking Peter Griffin, you just can't get enough of Peter, which is why I'm just going to keep eating and getting bigger all the time. <laughs> and then there would have been, uh, oh, that's right, George W. Bush, son of Jim. <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> I also remember Celebrity Mario Party. Yeah, that was... You'll probably never see that again. There'd be no way to interact <laughs> with chat and also do that. Do that. that. That would solely be like YouTube content or something. It, there's no way I could do that live anymore. <laughs> I, re I remember that. And I was like, man, this is awesome. So I started watching your streams. And for those who don't know, and this is kind of like, um, this is like four years ago. I'm looking at it. I can't believe it's four years ago. You had the calendar. You had your stuff. You had it all lined up, which games you were playing that day, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And it was such a different thing. And I remember you only had like five get, uh, five uh, pictures. Um, it was W. Bush. It was, Cl it was Clinton, uh, Peter Griffin, uh, Farley, and... Um, there was one more, I think, W. Bush, right? Yeah. Oh, I can't believe I forgot about Bill Clinton, son. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember that specifically. I'm like, okay, this is be kind of cool, you know. And it was so cool to watch your stream evolve, mm. you know. And uh, like, you just did different things, and it, the your setup was totally different too. Um, it wasn't probably until like what six months Scoot came along, right? Let me see. I think he started three months after I did, if I remember right. And I found him. I don't think it was through a raid. I found him randomly. Oh, I wow. Uh, yeah, I think it was. And then I'm like, oh, okay. Maybe it was a raid. I don't know. I'm trying to think because I didn't really go along on raids a lot because I was just always, you know, in and out with channels. You know that you're part of the problem then, Knight. You know you're part of the problem. <laughs> This is why it's hard to go a stream. Very funny, Andy. Um, <laughs> this is the part people came to listen to. Um, all the me, <laughs> you know, all um, the memes. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you're getting the streaming. So what was it like in those three months of beta testing? You kind of got a taste of um, before the signal boost, which I'm referring to as you know, DP kind of like, Hey, you know, go follow his channel, go check him out, go support Andy. And you have to think about it this way. DP was the only comedian pretty much on Twitch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With, yeah. I mean, as far as I know, I didn't know anybody at that time who was doing what he was doing. He was a pioneer as far as comedy and video games and the whole thing. And I was like, man, this is gonna be really cool. And then I saw Scoot come along. He was a comedian. I'm like, Oh yeah, it's gonna be awesome. It's like this new wave of uh, streamers coming in. And I started in uh, May of 20, uh, 2015, um, which is 
kind of funny that it was like a couple months after I found you. Um, but uh, I was going to say, so at this point, you know, you're going through the categories and stuff. What was it like? Uh, not streaming to probably like what? Less than 10 viewers at the time, right? I mean, consistently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 10 viewers would have been a good day back in the old days. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, huh. God, it, it really was so different because um, most of what I did had to simply be talking to myself and playing off myself and just coming up with things to say based on what I was doing in the moment. And it was it was almost always in some kind of impression voice. Like I said, celebrity let's plays. The uh, the formula I used for channel growth <laughs> was I would I would say um was it what would the titles look like like yeah i'd have i'd have bill clinton there in the corner whoa 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 and the title would yeah it'd be a picture of bill clinton like in front of a microphone or something to make it look like he was there live on stream with me in the thumbnail and the title would read you know bill clinton plays mario 64 so that people from the thumbnail would be like oh my god this guy actually has bill clinton on there's his guest on the show, tune in and find out, of course, it's just me doing an impression. It's all, of course, a big ruse. Uh, but then hopefully they see that it's funny, stick around and <laughs> and enjoy the show like 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 you should, you know. Um, and so that's how things were at the beginning. Uh, and it really required just a lot of, boy, you know, a lot of stream of consciousness and having very little chat to interact off it was also the laptop days i used to stream from a laptop because i didn't know any. i remember better. that yeah and that caused limitations i could only change pictures so quickly it was it was very slow to change an image using that method uh when i upgraded to the pc tower of course i can go much faster uh and that makes more of the show you see today uh who donated uh the pc to you i uh, didn't donate i i purchased it from him but that would be uh, uh side who you may have seen in the chat from time to time he's he's a long time cooligan um but yeah I, I i bought it from him for a good price he cut me a great deal awesome that's that's really cool to see people like supporting you like that like they see you working hard i i in fact i started on a laptop i had one crappy laptop and i had another crappy laptop one was for the game and one was for the chat. And that's what I did mm. for uh, eight months. And I only could play an emulator on a, you know, Super Nintendo games. That's how I started pretty much, too. It's a good way to start. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's easy to stream and those it, from, a, from, a, from a tech perspective. It is. And it also, like, I didn't, you know, blow my money right away. Like, uh, <laughs> some people will go all out. And they're like, okay, we're going to dive right into this. And you're like, you know, a good $800 in debt. You were lucky. You had your stuff all there. You're like, oh, well, this can't be that bad, you know. And then you, you tested it out for three months, and you really wanted to pursue this. And um, so kind of like going from, you know, those streams. Do you remember who your first viewers were? Um, yeah. Do you remember specifically? And would you start, like, doing the introductions for them? Was it just kind of a joke, and then it kind of became a thing? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think how that all wind up working because you know a lot of those early viewers do have you know shtick that i associate with them when they come on in um let me see i want to say that wicked chiller was the first person to follow my stream other than my brother um uh, because that's that's my recollection he still subs to this day he still watches i see him 
in there and whatever. Uh, and his thing is he likes to type in the longest German word he knows and tries to get me to say it because he thinks that's funny. Because it, it is. Uh, <laughs> I think it comes out different every time I try to say it. Um, there's this other guy named Vortex, except I usually don't say it like that. I say it like this. With the uh, reverb on there. Um, that's his name. I don't know why I started doing that. I just did. And then, of course, there's and of course, there's Captain Crunch. The reason I do the Planket voice when Captain Crunch comes in because I stopped into Crunch's stream once and I thought he kind of sounded like that guy. And then Crunch confirmed. He goes, yep, and I look like him, too. <laughs> but then I saw him once and I was like, you don't look like Mr. Planket. Very funny. He... <laughs> And so that that's some of the first ones. I also got this guy, uh, Ryan Ray. He may have found me on my my second channel. I was playing Ninja Turtles with a friend, two player. He popped in. Um, Chef, yeah. Chef Ubro found me in the early. Yep, that, no, I got to do his right. Yep, Chef Ubro. I always say it like that for. How do you say it? I always want to know how to do it. How do you how do you how do you do it? <laughs> you just go into your go into your falsetto, Chef Ubro, like that. Is Chef for Burrow? Is that how you say it? Oh, Chef Ubero is his actual name. Chef Ubero. But I add like another that? I add another vowel <laughs> in there to make it sound Italian for some reason. <laughs> Even though Ubero is German, I, it, because he's a chef, I guess, it, it, and I associate that. We had this Mario picture, a Mario chef. Mario's Italian. I <laughs> It's all one big mess, but it's fine. It can be both. It, it, it can be both Italian and German. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I, I learned something new. I always wanted to know how to do the chef thing. And I found out today, I usually go, chef, bro, 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 because I had no idea how to say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's simply chef uh, Ubero. That's, that's how I say it. <laughs> I'm like the knockoff uh, introduction. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, it, it's like the, uh, like the bagged cereal that's at the bottom of the grocery aisle. Yeah. They... <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So you're going through and you know, we'll, we'll dive in a little bit further. Uh, so you're going through and you know, you have the calendar and everything. Uh, I got to ask you what mm. happened to the calendar? You know, it, it was hard to make. Uh, while I have a certain set of graphic skills, um, what is it? Because I make everything, people who know what this is. So I got this MacBook. All the graphics I create are on this, you know, old uh, 2011 MacBook that I have. Uh, and I make everything in the default preview application that it comes with. I don't even use a real graphics program like Photoshop or uh, GIMP or any of that other stuff. Um, so it involves a lot of copy-pasting clicking dragging really basic functions like that to create my graphics but hey at least i get it done but yeah those calendars i'd have to take graphics from different sources resize them paste them on the page on each different calendar day plus i would have to decide everything in advance of what i was going to play before i play it and that often conflicted with what mood i might be in on that day like i'd schedule weeks in advance 
to play a game. Well, I might not be in the mood to play Paperboy on that day or Star Fox on that day. What if I just don't feel like it? You know, but then it's like, well, it's on the calendar, so now I have to. So that's why <laughs> it's kind of both those reasons. Yeah, it was, it was it was hard to make them. And it, it would also obligate me to play things I might not want to play when the time came. Uh <laughs> So that's kind of the reason I discontinued the calendar, even though people keep demanding that it come back. Um, so this is a question, actually, uh, Chef wanted me to ask you. Ooh. We're jumping a little bit ahead here. What happened to the cooking streams? Why, why don't you do them? Oh, yet again, it, it's just because I'm lazy. There's there's no reason other than that. Like, they're, uh, they require more setup. You got to have, you know, more than one camera to make them work properly i i really should bring those back i know i keep saying that and not actually do it <laughs> but i hopefully sooner than later we'll we'll bring those back again um i just don't know what i would cook i because i don't cook that's kind of the joke is that i don't know what i'm doing <laughs> you just get to see me improvise a meal live on stream and just hope it doesn't turn out you know uncooked uh, like the hamburger did uh <laughs> <laughs> no tell us okay that that was one cookie stream i did find <laughs> tell us what happened uh, about that do you remember the, the hamburger incident I'm trying to think i mean i must have cooked it by using that pan uh i remember vividly the whole stream you were sitting there and it was in between uh was it burger time you had the chef outfit on uh, yeah yeah. And uh, you basically, oh, this is cooked. This is fine. And you took a bite into it. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. um, yeah, this isn't cooked. <laughs> it was all chewy. The and outside was like, it's like wrong. it was done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> outside looked done, but it was, yeah, raw and pink. I mean, it's basically just like eating raw beef out of the packaged pink on the inside. Uh, so I had to cook it longer. See, I hadn't used that burner before. I didn't know what setting to use because there's not degrees on it. There's just arbitrary numbers uh, that determine levels of heat. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I've never used this. All of it was guesswork. I don't know how long to leave it on the pan, even if I knew what number to have it, which I don't. It's just it, too many variables, not enough constants, didn't know how to cook it. And so... Yeah, it was it was a science experiment gone wrong, but we but we got it right. We got it right, and you did get a few laughs out of it, right? I mean, that's how you got to really look at it. Uh, I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> and, and luckily, I'm 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 still alive to tell the tale. We didn't get any uh, E. coli or, or or none of that. I was I was okay. I was fine. No trip to the hospital. Get my stomach pumped that day. All right. So basically, Chef, to answer your question. He would like to bring it back, but he just doesn't know how to cook right now. <laughs> <laughs> Is he there right now? or wait? <laughs> Oh, no. I'm just saying if he listens to this, uh, d d oh, very let him good. know I, I did answer his question. Um, so uh, here's the other thing. Um, it, it, this is uh, kind of a – we're kind of go back and forth, but um, this is kind of the point where we kind of like reflect on like different stuff. Um, so I was, uh, talking to combat King cause he's helped me set up, uh, main, uh, the arcade uh, uh, um, thing. Uh, 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 sir, ahem, ahem. That should be vain. Combat King oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> had to, Hey, he's another one of those guys. You gotta, you gotta say it a certain way. <laughs> That's true. They, 
Scumbag King. Oh, you got it, Per, with the dramatic pause and everything. William Shapnapon. You you know what's the meme with him and his channel is that um I has to say the and I won't talk in his chat unless someone does the Shatner. I I literally did it for twenty minutes one time. Nice. And he thought I, I was gone, and someone did it, and I go Combat King. He goes what? This night? What are you what are you doing <laughs> here? <laughs> Dedication to the craft. That's how you stay in character. Commitment to the bit. Yes. <laughs> Acting. He showed me this clip of you. You maybe may not remember this. It was during the Big Twenty practice, and mm. uh, you go. It was uh, what disc error? No, stop cheering! Don't. <laughs> ha! Actually, I do remember that. Yeah, because I was trying to fix my EverDrive, and people were cheering, and I'm it, 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 like, "This is not a happy time." You know, I. <laughs> Stop chewing, stop that. <laughs> Celebration was playing like, no, stop. And he's like, at this. <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm one of the few streamers you'll ever encounter who I, 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 depending on the situation, I might actually get upset when someone cheers, which is the weirdest thing. That makes no sense. That's entirely counterintuitive for a streamer to do. But it got to the point where, um, there was an alert that I had. I got rid of it now where every time, where was it? Oh, if you cheered 88 bits, the song Don't Worry, Be Happy by Bobby McFerrin, written in 1988, it would play a clip of that song if you cheered that amount. People would do this when I would visibly or auditorily or both uh, get upset during stream. They would play that to calm me down. But the problem was, is after years of streaming and Having that song associated with whenever someone thinks I'm angry, now whenever I hear the song, it just makes me angrier. So <laughs> how dare you patronize me? I am not angry. You know. <laughs> so I got rid of the alert. And <laughs> I was wondering where that went. And then I remember vividly that always happened. And I'm like, I don't think that's going to calm him down. <laughs> yeah. Just every time I hear that, it feels like he's mocking me. I couldn't take it anymore. It would. <laughs> oh my god! But anyways, you know what the title that Combat King made the clip? It says, "Andy, I hope we can laugh about this later." <laughs> <laughs> can we laugh about this later? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Oh man. Um. So, uh, anyways, so you were going through like, you know, the six or eight months, um, there were some things you did that were, were pretty different. Um, you, uh, you were playing Wii sport games, you were doing all this stuff. So you eventually said you're at the point where you're like, okay, I can't do the scheduled thing. And this is like probably what about maybe almost a year after streaming, right? Pretty much. Oh, I think that schedule may have lasted about, oh, three months, and then I... Yeah, because <laughs> for some reason, I always remember, like, it would be the schedule. Maybe it's because I'm thinking of your panel, and it was the same, like, similar graphics as your as your channel now. Mm. Um, So, you know, you're about a year in, and, you know, you're getting some momentum. The retro section is kind of growing at this point. This yeah. is... It was starting to, to spurt up more because people like, you know, Arcus and... A lot of the speedrunners started, you know, taking, you know, not taking advantage of it, but actually utilizing it um, more. And uh, how does it start to feel when you started pe seeing people come back and like they they are there, like dedicated at the beginning of the stream? 
Ah, yeah, that was the part I didn't expect because uh, I didn't know what I was getting into. I, I was not an online guy. Like, you know, when I would use the internet pre-Twitch, I mean, I'd, I guess, occasionally, you know, watch a YouTube video or, um, you know, read posts on Reddit or 9gag or something. Uh, but that would be pretty much the extent of my internet usage i didn't do online games i didn't do anything involving a community i didn't know that when you start a twitch channel you're starting a community dedicated viewers will show up and watch you every day i didn't think that i thought every day i'd just get you know whatever randos would happen to be in and i, I would rarely see the same person day after day actually quite the opposite you see the same people every day uh and you actually build build friendships. It, 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 the whole thing blew my mind. Everything was was a surprise in the best possible way. Just just crazy, except for the trolls. But we, we, <laughs> but we don't feed the trolls, so we won't talk about the trolls. <laughs> yeah, and um, another question I had. This is from the amazing one, and I think it's maybe well, it's kind of a mm. personal question. Uh, let me know if you feel comfortable about it. When did you become bald? <laughs> well, the truth is I'm not actually bald. I just shaved my head. Uh, yeah, when did I do that? I'm trying to think what year that would have been. I would have been um, around the age of, what, 28, 29, so somewhere in there. It was a while back. That was a good 10 years ago. Yeah, yes, yeah, somewhere in there, somewhere in there. Yeah, I'd say about 10 years ago, shaved the head. Uh, the reason was the type of hair I have is difficult to make look good. Uh, I've got a really just like naturally high hairline, just have ever since I was a kid, and I've got really thin hair. So my options are very limited. I, I basically had Chris Farley hair. If I were to grow out the hair, uh, that's what it would look like. Um, and I was just like, at one point I just, I'm just like, I can't figure out how to make this hair look good. So I'm not even going to try. Let's just shave it all off and, uh, wake up every morning with perfect hair. And I, I haven't looked back bald, bald is a good look. All right. And you got your answer. The amazing one. Uh, he asked me in a, a chat earlier today as I was like, Oh, you got any questions you want to ask Andy later? Oh. Um, so, uh, Another uh, thing was, uh, when did you start like uh, working out a lot as far as like being focused on fitness? Um, was there a time that you weren't into it and you said, mm. nope, I'm gotta, I got to change this. This has got to be over with. <laughs> oh, you're right on the money there. Yeah. No. What was it? Gained a lot of weight in my early to mid 20s. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, just a whole ton. I don't know why I was I was in a relationship at the time. I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not, but I'd also at the same time what uh was done with school, had moved out of student housing and was just doing I guess what a lot of people in their young adult lives just do, just kind of I don't know, just <laughs> you figure out how to be an adult. And you're like, you know what? I am an adult. I'm, I don't have any responsibilities. I'm working. I can just do whatever I want, whenever I want. And I did. <laughs> um, no restrictions. So I, I just put a ton of weight. And then by, uh, oh, when would it have been? 
trying to think how old I was when I decided to turn my life around. Uh, would have been, what, 26, 27, somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, went on this, like, you know, low-carb diet. And it worked really well. I, I managed to lose like 10 pounds a month for nine months. Uh, what was I eating? Egg substitutes, one yam a day, and a bunch of vegetables like cucumbers, carrots, apples, stuff like that. Very strict diet. Um, I basically just starved the weight off. Uh, I was all that I don't even know that I did the diet correctly, but I did lose weight. Um, but then after I did that, I was like, well, why not? kick it up to the next level. I guess it's like poetry, you know, it, it sort of rhymes, uh, you know, like we were talking earlier, you want to, you want to be the best at whatever it is you're doing. I'm like, well, why not yarr, go to the gym and you get all buff and swallowing things and yarr, you know, and that appealed to me. I had done it back when I was in college. Uh, so I figured I'd try again and maybe try to, what is it? Do it right. Like do all the nutrition, right. Do all the workouts, right. And by this point, See, the internet wasn't very good in the early 2000s when I tried to work out. By, by this time, it was like the late 2000s. Lots of online resources for how to, you know, properly bodybuild. So, uh, yeah, got into that and, and haven't stopped uh, except for when I've been injured because uh, I like it. It makes me feel good. I, 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 I like the look. I like the feel. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's something to do. Get you out of the house. Uh, lift some, you know, move some weights around, you know, get that, <laughs> get those male hormones running through your body. It's, a, it's good for you. Right? Sense of accomplishment, all that <laughs> builds character and, and muscle. Too. <laughs> um, so let's go forward a little bit. This is a good transition. Uh, so basically you're going like six to eight months and then the affiliate program is not too long until it comes around. I believe it was, oh, geez. Um, affiliate program was about a year after, right? But after, was it 2016 affiliate program came out? I'd say Ooh, around there. I was don't it 2017? Remember. Uh, okay. Yeah, I had to have been 2017. It it had to have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I I would have gotten partnered in December of 2017, and would have gotten affiliate whatever that April or May month uh, beforehand that same year. So yeah, 2017. You're about affiliate for about a year or six, eight months or something like that, right? If I remember correctly or something like that. Yeah, something like that, yeah, in that general Because area. the question I want to ask you, how did the not-so-angry emote come along? And do you remember the first time you got not-so-angry at uh, on stream? Oh, wow. Like the first time I would have like raged at something and where the... You know, I don't even remember the origin... I think it started as a joke because it, 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 I used to be calmer in my newer, in my, sorry, my older streams when I was new, uh, because, you know, I was just, I was just getting used to it. I was, you know, feeling my way around, uh, you know, I didn't want to step on any toes. I was really careful, really, really polite and stuff. But, uh, these games, some of these games, I tell you, they'll bring out the worst in you. Trolley devs making these games. <laughs> um, but what would happen is like little bits of it would come out like like it would it would be noticeable that something in a game would have irked me. But then I would calm myself down and, and like try to warn the chat uh, that I wasn't angry. But I said, no, I'm not angry. You know, 
can't like i'm not angry like <laughs> or you just go like dead silent to, yeah to just <laughs> repress the truth you know it's like i really am angry but we're just we're gonna pretend that we're not angry uh happy fun <laughs> stream but it got to the point where um oh you play games like super ghouls and ghosts well you you can't get truly not angry you're gonna be full-on angry so <laughs> i should have just stuck to mario 64 i should have just stuck to one game night i'd be fine they say that if, if you're suffering from depression if you play just a half hour of mario 64 you'll you'll feel 500 percent better it's a happy fun game it's got bright colors and a fun little 3d environment you just jump around in feel good about yourself but no we have to subject ourselves to dark souls and ghosts and goblins. <laughs> I remember in the early days um, when we, it was like not so angry um, was like becoming a joke. Um, mm. Chat would be worried. They'd be like, um, is Andy okay? Where did he go? Like it, it's the away screen or ah, something. And you would yeah. just switch the game and you're like, yep, that never happened. <laughs> oh, I still do that to this day. I'll even go as far is to pretend that uh, we didn't have a stream. Uh, it, it, we will just simply fake restart the stream. I'll play the intro. I'll I'll sing whatever the intro song for the day is. I'll welcome everybody in. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I'm so sorry, folks. We started, what, two hours late today. Oh, man, I really need to get my shit together. Got to be a professional streamer. Twitch is going to fire me for not sticking to my schedule. So uh, how are we doing? You know, it's... <laughs> From the top, you know. <laughs> and that's good. Like, you can take that and be like, you know what? Okay, people are running with a joke. Do you pick up on chat, like, as they're joking about some of the, like, the, what do you call mannerisms that you have? Um, How does that make you feel? Like, you know, people kind of pick out things and they're like, oh, wow. Oh, I see what you're saying now about, you know. I like it when they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because I, I do notice it. And I, I appreciate it when they when they notice that. Because uh, all that stuff just fine to me. Well, it lets me know they're paying attention. to. They understand. It's like they get me. They understand my sense of humor. Uh, and they, yeah, they, what is it? They're buying what I'm selling. They're picking up what I'm throwing down. And that that's really good because uh, some of the stuff I do is ironic or subtle. I know that I tend to you know speak in a loud voice with big gestures but i will i i will throw in subtle things sometimes that i'm like i, I wonder how many people got that i did that but then they'll, they'll type something in chat that lets me know they did get it and then then i'm happy you know because not everything needs to be ridiculous over the top slapstick sometimes it can be a, a little understated if you will <laughs> hey guys thanks for checking out part one of two of the Andy Social Network episode. We got the second part coming along pretty soon. So stay tuned. Make sure to follow the Twitter at twitter.com slash streaming talks. Uh, you get all the updates on all of our episodes, all those good things. And make sure you follow Andy too. He's on uh, the Andy Social Network at twitch.tv slash the Andy Social Network. And you also can check out the Andy Gaming Network at twitch.tv slash the Andy Gaming Network. I hope you guys enjoyed the first part. We got the second one coming along, like I said. But uh, he's going to talk about, you know, the atmosphere of Twitch. A lot of great stuff 
a lot of Andy's opinions. Uh, you won't hear this anywhere else, at least right now. <laughs> but thanks, guys, for listening. And you guys will hear from us the next part. We'll hope to see you then.